everybody. You have found Shark Brain, the podcast about creativity in the modern world. The podcast about people who create, who reach into the ether and try to come up with something that is entertaining or edifying or, well, hell, sometimes we just try to sell stuff. I know I do. Speaking of me, I am Jake Newton. I am your host. I'll be taking you through the journey. For those of you who are just joining us, for those of you who are returning on this series of conversations, thank you for doing so. This week on the program, we've got songwriter and composer Dan Romer, a recent transplant to the Los Angeles area. We do focus a bit on that. He comes from Park Slope, New York, and not in the kind of, I came from Park Slope, but I was really from somewhere else before. He was from Park Slope, born and bred in Brooklyn. He's out here now. And we do have a lot of a conversation about that, the differences between New York and L.A., the hallowed ground for each and every person that calls whichever one their home. But, to be perfectly honest, I think that there are two sides to everything. There's good and bad and everything. Los Angeles, I wore a t-shirt on Christmas Day. How is that Christmas? Then again, I don't really shovel snow, so, you know, I got that going for me. Although I do hear it's really good cardio. Of course, that's some someone from Los Angeles would say that, right? Us vapid, vain, oh, obsessed with looks, people. But let's be honest with you, it works because we're just we're just so good looking. Dan Romer, good egg, great guy. We did run out of time a little bit. We were going to talk more about his records that he's made with Jenny Owen Youngs, with Ian Axel, with Ingrid Michaelson, but uh, we just jabbered on for a while. We were both really, really high on caffeine. Um, that, that needs to be said. So if, uh, there's a brief period in this interview where I kind of forget how to talk and, uh, consonants just sort of flutter out of my mouth. It's, it's almost as if somebody's trying to start a car, but they're, the alternator is not getting enough, uh, energy. So there is that. You can listen to that. I, I was going to go in and edit it, but in honesty, I, I'd rather give you guys the unvarnished, just me. I mean, there's, oh, we're getting into the, a weird debate in my head right now. The unvarnished real personal man versus the uh the artist that only shows a certain portion of himself i think that the days of yore when you had someone like a bob dylan who could kind of creep up out of the ether and drop a few songs in our laps and then sneak back to his artist's hovel to go and beg the gods for more uh ambrosia more more inspiration those those days are gone I don't think that you can be a quote-unquote enigma anymore. Maybe you can. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe what I'm really saying is that we shouldn't strive to be such an enigma in the way that we do things. Maybe, maybe you can manage a little bit of your narrative, but trying to be this, this ethereal force that isn't bound by human law, it, it's, it's a little old and played out. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's just a construct of the 20th century that is slowly breaking down in the digital age, or, or maybe it's, uh, it's part of the iconography that we're craving, giving us something to worship. Hmm? In a post, post-religious society, we are craving something eternal, and having somebody, a hero, so to speak, to look up to. A bunch of kids that are in their early 20s, Wondering how Bonivere makes his eggs. Wondering if he actually eats. Or if he just sort of sits in the corner with a dunce's cap on, waiting for inspiration to strike. And then out of nowhere, he says to himself in a low, mumbled voice, 
I see a field, and a young child wearing a sheepskin coat. And then he writes an album about it, and we all buy it, because it's, to be perfectly honest, amazing. I don't know. I don't know. As for me, I'm just going to be this flailing open nerve. Speaking of open nerves, I'm a little frazzled. I'm, I'm, I'm going completely diabetic. I feel it. I feel the need, feel the need for insulin in my body. I'm in that, what, what my wife affectionately calls shitty kitty mode, where I, I just become, I've fully addicted to sugar and not just, you know, regular sundry items of, of sugardom, but terrible, terrible, terrible food. You know, the stuff that comes in your stocking. I'm, I'm, I'm just pounding Reese's peanut butter cups, the tiny ones, the fun size, because hey, that's not that much. Then I look down and I've got 12 wrappers splayed out in front of me like some sort of sultan from shitville i'm interested to think of it so needless to say i'm going to have uh, a series of new year's resolutions one of which i just did my taxes for the previous year so that i could uh file for health insurance you kind of have to do that you have to be part of society if you want to have the benefits of society i have found that out so the last two days i've just been sitting in my office going through old receipts finding Receipts from Guitar Center or from eBay or from any random things, trying to figure out what can I what can I write this off? Can I write that off? I find out that if you work in the entertainment industry, you can write off a whole lot of things, tons of things that normal people don't get to. And you think, how is that fair? How are how am I able to technically write off Spotify and Netflix and Hulu and all those things? And I I sit there. I had a moment where I thought like, oh, maybe this is kind of like iffy and ishy and and not really quite the right thing. And then I remembered. That I am adrift in the middle of nowhere with no set income, no financial security whatsoever, no hope for benefits from, or even if I do have with my unions, whether or not I actually achieve the amount of money in a fiscal year to get those benefits. So, tell you what I do. Trading a life of financial instability for the privilege of being able to write off guitar strings. Hey, it's not an even trade, but it certainly is on the side of fair. So, there I am, in the thick of it, with papers around me. I'm wanting to shoot myself in the face. And something very interesting happened last night. I had spent the entire day just going through all numbers and numbers and numbers, and I, I rebel against this kind of a stuff. I did it in high school. I did it in college. I cheated off of the cute girl next to me in my math exams, and, and I, I, did, I did that for everything. I, I, I rebel. I cannot do it. I have an inherent voice in the center of myself that says, says, fucking no! So I get through all that. I power through for the grace of God. And then I woke up in the middle of the night with three song ideas. Maybe that's just, maybe I need to be more organized. Maybe I need to get quicken and put all my expenditures in their various and respected files. And maybe I'll be more, maybe, maybe the muse will come to me because it will sense my fear and impending doom and will, will come to rescue me, to, to ballast myself against the uh, the math and science side of me. And listen, this is not a knock against people who are, are minded that way. I appreciate you. I love you. As a matter of fact, without you, I wouldn't be able to do what I do because how on earth would I be able to record an album without 
Pro Tools or the computer that I use Pro Tools through or or to be able to drive down the road without having engineering in my life. I appreciate the entire spectrum of the world, and I don't think I always did, but those of you who are though are math and science minded and and move in that that's not to say that you guys aren't creative you are in your own way einstein had to think creatively outside of the box because he wouldn't have been able to figure out a, the rel- theory of relativity at the age of 25 i feel like a slacker uh, so that being said it's, it's over and done with i filed late but i'm getting a little money back that feels good i'll probably Put that back into Shark Brain. Buy some t-shirts. Sell them to you guys. Be in the process over and over again. Other than that, we got New Year's. We got a rebirth. I know that many people are saying, it's just another day. You know, I never complete any of my New Year's resolutions. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate on this one. I'm not going to poo-poo the resolution. I'm going to say, let's lean into it. Let's take stock. Let's figure it out. Let's stick to it this year. You know, there's a few things that I want to stop doing. I want to stop eating my emotions. I want to stop deferring any and all conflict. I want to start speaking up for myself. I want to start pushing this shark brain a bit more. All those things. What do you want to do? Tell you what. Let's make this interactive. Just so I know that you guys are listening to this. Because I get the numbers. On the website, I see that people download it and they listen. And that's all fine and good. But I tell you what I'd love. I'd love to, to hear back from you guys. What are your New Year's resolutions? Tell me. Tell me. Let's, let's hold each other accountable. Or at least commiserate when we fail miserably. What do you say? Sound good? Awesome. Okay. Well, that's about 10 minutes of me babbling. Let's get on to the interview with the wonderful and talented Dan Romer. On the one, the only, Shark Brain. I get. I should. Yeah, I, I'm a recording engineer. I, <laughs> I should know. Actually, I'm not. I'm gonna rock without these. I, hey, I think you can. I, I don't. I, yeah, the latent. What, what are we rocking here? Well, inbox. I think, I think we're rocking. We're yeah, inbox. Yeah. I think we're looking at uh, five twelve. So Man, yeah, I'm looking. At, I'm about to start doing the the rig upgrade. Yeah, because I mean they're coming out with the new Max. That's right. The, yeah, they're the conical one or the circular. Yeah, one, right? yeah, the R two D two. Yeah, tiny yeah, R2D. yeah, yeah. And dude, like, if I'm get to get the rig that I want, uh-huh. it's like scary how much it costs let's let's start let's pull it out so you got you want what <laughs> this, this is my favorite kind of like daydreaming kind of a thing so okay so base price uh-huh. for um for the new mac is either three thousand or four thousand depending uh-huh. on how many cores you have uh if you're getting the six core it's four thousand but then it's not there's this cores are still upgradable you can get an eight eight core or 12 core okay if you want the slots are just there they're not you click on six core and they're like well do you want an eight or a 12 this is the thing though is that as the cores get higher Uh their speeds get lower each okay right now it's debatable no one knows yet there's still like a freak out in the audio community happening it's like do we want more speed or more cores Uh so it actually might be better to have the six core Uh with higher each one having higher speeds than a 12 core with lower speeds each for virtual instruments okay we don't know yet yeah. the tests haven't been it's you know all these companies are so secretive of course they are you and know it, we don't know yet because i mean i regardless i'm likely to just like 
go to the Mac website and the Apple website and just bring it like be like nope the three thousand dollar more option let's do that oh yeah. that's another two thousand let's do that and uh-huh. just upgrade it to like the maximum possible just because like i'm like i want the best machine yeah. but for all i know you know some of this stuff might not be as good yeah that's that's the difficulty with that because they give what uh developers and that sort of a thing maybe a three-week head yeah. start yeah. maybe and then so there's this weird weird period between whether it's pro tools or whether it's uh or any number of those things that they have to catch up. Yeah. And so there's, I remember like uh, with Pro Tools 10 or something like that, there was like a three-week period where like people with, with uh, O2s couldn't, they couldn't actually access Pro Tools at all. Yeah. Yeah. Those were crazy times. Yeah. I used to use an O2. I had so many problems with it. Yeah? Well, my new computer, I remember I was in the process of switching over from 002 to HD, uh-huh. and I, from the Pro Tools LE to HD, and I knew that it was, I was on tour with Ingrid mm-hmm. while I was, uh, while I was talking to Sweetwater every day. <laughs> and my plan was to get the new Mac mm-hmm. and then trade in my 002 eventually for an H- the 192, the HD2 192 yeah. rig. But there was a time in between where I just had the new computer and that new computer wasn't connecting to the FireWire 400 ports were broken. Yeah, yeah. So... It was that uh, there was... When you get it hot... Oh, wait. Hot switched or something? Wait, wait, wait. No, there were no FireWire for. There was only FireWire 800 on that computer. That's okay. what was going on. And they were like, you're going to need to use a converter to use your 002, huh? which is kind of crazy to like your main interface that's yeah. going through a conversion point. Yeah, that's just weird. I'm sure it's fine, but but you it know, didn't work for a while. It's strange. I, I think that the with, with the connectivity and all that other stuff, sometimes you feel like FireWire right now is like Betamax. It's, yeah. It's already going away because USB yeah, yeah, 3 yeah. is faster. And yeah. then and and Thunderbolt is... Thunderbolt is lightning fast. Yeah. yeah. So it's nuts, man. We're, FireWire's done. Fire's done, man. Fire's, I've got I've got tons of them. Every single C drive that I've got, they send me 12 of them. You know? This is always what happens. But dude, imagine you were one of the guys who grew up... Imagine you were like... 45 when they switched from tape to Pro Tools. Oh, geez. Can, like, yeah. like, oh my God. Like you're looking at your ADAT machine, you're going like, I spent so much money on you. When yeah. I purchased you, and you're done. Oh, yeah, even your ADAT. And that, that's even later. I mean, picture having analog tape. Oh, yeah. I mean, ADAT's scarier, but that was a smaller amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, picture being like this dude, you have just tons, you know, you have to, all of your recordings have been on analog tape. Uh-huh. And then they're like, um, <laughs> Pro Tools, Pro Tools is now the only thing there is. And then you're like, Oh, those people can do their shit. I, I, I'm just gonna keep buying my tape. They're like, actually, no, no one's making tape anymore. Like, what? <laughs> I beg your pardon. I think they've started again, but there was definitely a period, yeah. where just there wasn't. No one was making tape, right? Yeah, I'm, but, yeah, that was that's true. Like from like mid '90s to now, there was people just like like dried it up. I uh, the last record that I did. Um, we did to 24 inch or not 24 two inch, inch. Yeah. To a two 24 track. Yeah. 24 track. To the two best inch. Ra- Some of the best records of all time were yeah. made. Ziggy Stardust, Spider Spider. I mean like eh, fucking mm-hmm. tons of amazing records made on that stuff. Absolutely. But the thing was, uh, we didn't have any, we didn't have to buy any tape because the guy that had the studio had inherited all this old tape. So he'd, uh, he'd find some random no name band that went through and had just, you know, a, bad terrible demos yeah. and he'd delete them off but in the process of doing that he found all kinds of crazy stuff uh, Joey by Concrete Blonde found really? that on 2inch uh, on and then a, a few other really crazy ones because it was a studio that had uh, been in operation since the 70s it was where they mixed Fleetwood Mac's Rumors yeah. it was where they tried to do um, the mixing for um, uh, Exile on Main Street but yeah. they just partied for four days and didn't get anything <laughs> done and I think in that Harry Nilsson documentary there is actually a shot of um, of Lennon and him 
trying to do some background vocals there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was on Hollywood Boulevard. It's a really cringe, strange spot. So I'll say I, I, I didn't spend very much time working at working as like a guy at commercial. I worked as, as an intern or uh, more. I did assistant work, but I was working as an intern at, at studios for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it one huge difference I've seen between working at big studios in a corporate setting uh, versus home studios is that there's so much work, more work done in home studios. Yeah. Like the corporate studios are so much more partying and drinking and just like yeah. relaxing and video game playing. Even today? Uh, this was back in 2002 when yeah. I was interning. So like like the death knell, right, right about right the time. Before, right before the wave hit and yeah. tsunamied over, the Napster wave uh, yeah. came and crushed all the yeah. popular. So let's go back a little bit, man. You were born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Park Slope. Park Slope, okay. Yeah. Which is now where the hipsters go to breed, right? Which is, yes, yes. Once you get, once you, the, a hipster is of breeding age, <laughs> he migrates. <laughs> migrates the, from Red Hook the, to... The two will migrate, the couple will migrate to, mm-hmm. uh, to Park Slope, to yeah. To, to spawn, spawn. So, what was it like growing up there in the in the eighties and nineties? Well, um, it, first of all, it wasn't as nice of a neighborhood. Uh, right. Nowhere near as nice of a neighborhood as it was. Uh, there was regular, you know, crime. Mm. You know, it was a fairly regular thing. You know, I, I I might have. It's hard for someone who was you know who was six years old when that stuff was going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard for someone like that to really accurately report on what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, there were neighborhood watches. There was yeah. talk of crime all the time. When my parents, my parents bought a brownstone okay. in 1978 oh, uh, wow. for like nothing, and, mm-hmm. and people were like, "Oh, you can't move to Park Slope. Yeah. That place is incredibly dangerous." Mm-hmm. You know, and they were like, "Well, we found a place with a really big living room. It was dirt cheap." Mm-hmm. You know, and they were like, "All right, well, it's a nice house. Oh, it's, it has a potential to be a nice house. Yeah. It's large, but you guys are making a huge mistake." moving to that area. Yeah. And then come like the early nineties, it all of a sudden, you know, started, started, uh, blowing up. Yeah. You know? But they had to be rough in the eighties there. Like when that, that adjustment period, what did your parents do? Uh, my parents are both political activists. Okay. They met, uh, I, I think at a rally or, mm-hmm. uh, or a meeting of some sort of political mm-hmm. thing, but, and, but they're both, they're both, uh, teachers. Okay. Um, both of them, their concept was the, to become a teacher and marry a teacher and then have summers off. Yeah. Together. Oh, and then go so, travel the world. Right. Like, well, yeah. they would go to Vermont and mm-hmm. they would hang out there every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still do that. They still go to Vermont together, uh, you know, as much as they can. Wow. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they're, they're great. They were um, incredible parents. Um, are, are still incredible parents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't ceased doing that. Well, you're old enough. Now we have to stop calling you and checking up on you and seeing how well you're doing. Yeah. You know, well, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's it, you know, having parents is a never ending uh, experience of. That's- of 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 wonder, wonderfulness and love. That's true. And yeah. you know what? Even when they die, it's still there. You, mm. Especially with all the isms and schisms. You know, you have. Yeah. Your, you, I think the psychologists call it your internal parent. Ah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's good. Um, but yeah, they met in a protest at, at, a, at some sort of political rally, and they, while they're both uh, teachers, they still, um, you know, they still. They would say that they're teachers second, yeah. and, and political activists first, probably. What kind of uh, what kind of causes were they pushing for? Are they in both of them were anti-war, uh-huh. um, but now they're both in food politics. Okay, of, of different sorts. My mm-hmm. father is more in the corporate area of it. He's he's dealing with with food issues, but mm-hmm. more uh, with actual companies. And my mother is more about food policy. Okay. Okay, so we're talking about like GMOs and labeling and 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 agriculture. And yeah, that? and like getting um, ultimately getting educating people on food and nutrition mm-hmm. and getting um, better foods in more accessible to poorer communities. Okay, wow, dude, that's that's it's a, a very strange. I mean, that's very typical New York um, 
I, as far as like the the idealism, but to go that far and to make it your life's goal, your raison d'être, right? their entire existence seems to be pointed towards that's it's yeah, terrible. that's crazy noble. Yeah, they're they're amazing people, and yeah. you know, I mean, um, you know, wherever they go, wherever whatever events, where if my parents come to something, my father always has his flyers, his leaflets, <laughs> always handing out to people, always telling people yeah. you know, what's going on. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So they are you single kid? I mean, uh, no, I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah, he lives uh, in uh, in Maryland. Okay, he's What's got he a do? kid. Yeah, what does he do? Uh, he's a lawyer. Okay. Yeah, he's been doing some amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And what was the thought about you coming? Sorry, too much coffee for me. No, no me oh, too. I, I'm like, I'm right there with you, man. Like, I, I just started drinking. This is delicious coffee you made oh, me. Thank you. By this the way. is fantastic. Yeah, I'm let, so happy right now. Let it be known, all the guests who come on Shark Brain do get quite a bit of delicious coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, when you became a musician, or when was the uh, impetus or the the spark, the desire to become a musician, and how did that manifest itself? Also, how did your parents think about that? Well, I was um, they put me on piano, piano lessons. I assume I always loved music. I can't. Yeah. I don't know for sure. <laughs> my, it's my guess. Never really made a, a conscious decision towards it. It was just there. Yeah. Well, yeah. my my mother always does impressions of me singing Frosty the Snowman very off key, uh-huh. and, so, and it's like that was your favorite song. Uh-huh. It's a pretty catchy tune. That's not bad, man. It, it circles back around again. It's kind of have a nice little, you know, cozy thing. Yeah, yeah. It also for sure. is a, it's also very sad, but it kind of with like a very like, dark. Like, yeah, I mean, he melts away. Like, can you imagine if someone that you loved was magical and mystical? If a unicorn <laughs> came <laughs> and then melted cry. away, a unicorn <laughs> melted away, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so Frosty the Snowman was dark been, story. Dark story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and uh, they gave me piano, you know, they gave me piano lessons at five. They wanted mm-hmm. me to be, you know, to have at well least rounded music. Yeah. yeah, my brother had piano lessons around five too. Mm-hmm. He actually got better than me at piano. He was better. I remember looking up to him as a musician, and being mm-hmm. like, "Wow, my brother's a really good musician." Wow. But he didn't continue. Uh, he was more interested in sports than in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I took piano lessons at five, but I hated. I just. I, I, I disagree with music education, the way it's, music is taught in this country. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's taught in other countries. I just know this one. Uh, but I very much disagree with how music how so? is taught. I, I think that we have way too much emphasis on reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you forced a kid to learn how to read mm-hmm. before you let them talk, uh, you wouldn't have kids that were reading or talking. Good point. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, you have to be able to read this music. I mean, I think the the best the best way to educate a musician, I think is just having them raised around other musicians yeah, and just having them, uh, you know, I, I, if I was going to train a kid, uh, to, to be a, a fantastic musician, my plan would be to just have them hang out in a room of instruments with yeah. a bunch of musicians every day yeah, and just be like, Oh, it's music time. Mm-hmm. Like just an hour a day of just like, let's all play songs together. Yeah. And the kid won't be able to play any instruments at first, but, and then when they gravitate to an instrument, kind of show them how it works a little bit. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Maybe they'll pick something else up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, every instrument is the same at the end of the day. They all are mm-hmm. notes and rhythms. Yeah. And it's like, there's no point in like forcing a kid to learn a specific one yeah. and make them be able to learn how to read on it immediately. Mm-hmm. You know? but there's a lot of intu- intuition that you have to do that's you know basic and innate to yourself that actually spurns you on and gives you motivation towards it. Yeah, you know? yeah for I sure. Me- I remember when I was first, my dad was a guitar player and actually played... Uh, was a studio musician in the 70s yeah. for RCA and a few other people and he never really sat me down and said okay listen this is it face every good boy does fine this is you know Mixolydian and Ionian right. none of that stuff he would, he would just uh, one of my earliest memories is him just playing guitar for me while I was you know going to bed uh-huh. and then I would sit down and he'd show me like three chords and then 
show me a song, how to play it. I think Satisfaction was the first one. Yeah. And then, but I got so much motivation and joy from being able to play a song right yeah. out the get go, right. without having to, you know, take a Cracker Jack box and tie a ruler to it and try to do the Suzuki method. You totally, know? it's it's basically trying trying to force children who are just just centered around instant gratification to to delay that and become like these little patient balls of uh, computation. It doesn't work. I yeah. think you're right. I think I've never even thought about it that way. I mean, I I had a, a piano teacher that was very much of that mind, you know, not, I mean, just, she was horrendous. I, yeah. she, she's probably dead just from, just from her own hate that just spiraled in upon itself. But that happens. Yeah, it does. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was I, I hated it and I didn't, I didn't come back to piano. I haven't gone back to piano in 32 years. Yeah. You know? And I'm, I'm a professional musician. It's a great instrument. Yeah, I should. I, I kind of equate it to, um, to air, like other string instruments are like calligraphic pens and that sort of a thing, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, say for example, you know, a, an acoustic guitar is like a pencil, and an electric guitar is like this crazy weird uh, weird stencil thing. Sure. Uh, for writing and, and implementing what you want to say, and a piano is very much like a typewriter. It's fast, it's quick, it's universal. Everybody can see it. You don't have to. You can make a lot with it. Yeah. And it also opens itself up to so many other things. Sure. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Well, one thing that's very important to me about writing on piano is your control of inversions. Hmm. You don't yeah. have that on guitar. You Not have, I mean, you you can, I mean, I can play a C in mm. second inversion with the G on the bottom, mm-hmm. with that on the sixth string, yeah. have that G in the bottom. It doesn't really sound like yeah. a second inversion chord. It still just kind of sounds like a C chord. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it has to do with how close your voicings are on a guitar yeah. with open chords and also... Uh, how uh, you know how, how much um, information there is in a single guitar note as far as harmonic content? Mm-hmm. You know, there's such a complicated sound. I think it's got. Uh, le- it sounds like it has less of the like the second and fourth partials and a lot more of the you know third and fifth and above eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're you know the piano's got a lot more of these warm. Warm harmonics, uh, where the guitar is a lot more like, Rawr. yeah, and it also just it opens up your mind a whole lot more because everything's laid out right there, and you know you don't sure. have to the, the confusion of, I mean, even when you get alternate tunings and guitars and stuff like that. But with the piano, it's 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 all laid out. Oh, okay. I skipped over saying, and then you can just press it there because yeah. I thought it was like that's the obvious, you know, I, I didn't even think to like say that one. But yeah, I mean the 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 notes are right there. You can like yeah. if you're playing a C chord in your right hand, mm-hmm. you can play whatever inversion you want with your left. Exactly. And exactly. There's no, yeah. Mm. So. What was the first music that kind of came to you that said like, "Ooh, this is the juice. This is my stuff. This is this is me, mom, dad. This is me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Who's Tommy? Really? Yeah, for sure. Wow. Learned every song from oh, the Who's my Tommy. God. My guitar teacher was annoyed. He was like, mm-hmm. "Can we like start doing some songs that aren't from Tommy?" Like, no, <laughs> I want Tommy. Really? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I mean, I I loved, I loved, uh, and I just love I loved rock operas and just that that concept. I was always gravitated towards. Uh, a group of songs with a story, mm-hmm. you know, and I was because of that. I was I was somewhat gravitated toward me, towards musical theater, but so much of musical theater, I just am not into the just the the, the aesthetics. This, yeah, the the shimmering slick kind of um, uh, smarm. Yeah, kind of whole thing. I mean, you know, you have to kind of get to a place as a musician where you're just like genre and aesthetics shouldn't really come into play that much mm-hmm. where you're just like I, I need to be able to appreciate things just for yeah their their value yeah their intrinsic value of what they right. have because obviously it's working i mean sondheim is very very popular and many people love his work but sure. for, I mean, for me personally i mean i was in one musical i think in mm-hmm. my acting career so far and it was um it was oklahoma mm-hmm. classic rogers and Hammerstein. okay and yeah and i i think my character I had a couple songs. I was, I was Allie Hackam, and then, 
and I had like one speak song voice, but the rest of the time I was just sitting there in my early twenties, smoking cigarettes outside, <laughs> being James Dean, going like, oh, "Everybody's smiling, but they're not really happy. They don't know the truth. Life is shit." I read on the road. <laughs> that was me. So, not necessarily my personal aesthetic, uh, but you're right. It's um, the, oh, there's the dog. <laughs> hey, puppy. Hey, yeah. So yeah, there is there is a. I don't know what I was saying about that, but the rock opera thing. It's yeah. interesting. And then, like, the grouping of songs. Um, I love The Wall also the wall. growing up. What about Sgt. Pepper? Any of that? Sgt. Pepper, of course. There's not as much of a uh, of a cohesive story to That's Sgt. Pepper. That's true. Mr. Kite is kind of a stretch, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I think... I mean, in, like, Ziggy Stardust, it's, uh, Ziggy Stardust is one of my favorite albums of mm-hmm. all time. Really? And that, yeah, and that album has a... Um, it has a general... It has a general arc, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't start until the second half. And I mean, I've, I think I've read David Bowie, uh, David Bowie talking about it, um, saying that it's not really a, a true. There's not really a true story happening. It's mm-hmm. more of just a collection of ideas, and then a kind of common thread coming through at the end. Yeah, but it's not a, really a cohesive story. Yeah. And, you can probably blame that on the copious amounts of drugs. Mm. <laughs> mm. Good old copious amounts of drugs. Good old making drugs. making rock and roll great. Glam rock, man. There's a. I mean, it's a high fatality percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, music. I mean, in general, I had a I had a friend once who said that um, the way that you know if a music scene is dead or not is if people are still taking drugs. Really, in the scene. Yeah, hmm. which is actually like it's something. I can, that's not exactly how he said it, but it's like yeah, uh, like you know, as long as those like jazz musicians were doing tons and tons of heroin, mm-hmm. it was a live music scene. Yeah. And then once they stopped doing drugs, that music scene is kind of over. I mean, j- jazz is not a functioning music scene anymore where it's yeah. like actually has like tons of listeners and people mm-hmm. are like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. it's become an academic music form now. Yeah. I mean, not, not a lot of bars that play bebop. Right? No, yeah. no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, you know, well, some of my, one of my favorite bands, um, might be some might consider a jazz band, which is Slavic soul party. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, to me, I, I, you know, I don't really relate them so much to jazz as just like some kind of weird pop music made mm-hmm. with horns. Yeah. Yeah. Reaching into the dark, you know, pulling out of the ether. Mm. I went and saw the Brad Meldow, uh, trio up in Oakland about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And I remember it was the first jazz show that I had ever been to. And it was wildly different from any of my rock and roll concerts. Yeah. It's, it, it's more of an, uh, and it's just a, a professional appreciation is what it feels like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it, you know, becomes academic and, and like, yeah, I mean, you go to, you go to a conservatory and people are studying jazz at conservatory mm-hmm. now, Yeah, you know, they're studying, they're studying Miles Davis and they're learning how he played and, uh, so on and so on. And, um, you know, we don't, a couple schools do have pop music conservatories where you're like, I mean, I went to SUNY Purchase, which mm-hmm. does have a pop music conservatory program. Where is SUNY? Um, it's in, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm from Brooklyn, so I call it upstate New York, but yeah. you're not supposed to call this upstate New York. Oh, right, right. Uh, it's just north of the Bronx. It's like, uh, it's okay. in, it's in Westchester, White Plains area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it takes like 45 minutes to drive from the city to mm-hmm. Purchase. But And did you live there when you were going there? Or did you do uh, like the commution? I, yeah, I lived in Purchase. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you met all the uh, the Ingrid crew. And, mm. and, uh, that's Kuffner. not where I met Ingrid, per oh, se. No. no, but you met but, uh, but that's where I met Jenny and... Owen Youngs, Bess Rogers, uh-huh. uh, Chris Kuffner. Yeah. I actually didn't meet Chris at Purchase. He was He's a couple years older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't in any classes with him. Um, I was friends with Bess and... Uh, Bess would like w- whenever Chris was playing shows, she would walk by where he was playing and like kind of like check him out. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they ever like really hung out during purchase so much. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, at the, I think the very her very last semesters they started dating, and then uh, I met. But I didn't meet Chris formally until uh, I think I had graduated. Wow. 
Okay. That's that whole crew is, is incredibly tight knit. I'm whenever I'm mm-hmm. like out in New York and I run yeah. into one of you, I eventually run into all of you, no sure. matter how long my trip is. It kind of tells the circles around. I think the, like one of the last few times that I went out there, you guys came out to my show at Rockwood yeah. because like, you were right next door uh, playing with Jenny. Sounds right. And uh, and then. Then for over the next seventy-two hours, I ran into you again and again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. With all the, all the you know, different yeah. incarnations. I mean, New York. Oh, I miss. I I miss New York. Yeah. I, li- I live here. I live here in Los Angeles now. I moved here a year ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, New York is just constant. Like, it's so easy to have a tight knit friend group. Yeah. Because it's so easy to get anywhere at any given point. You can just be like. Uh, there could be a show going on um, at the Rock Shop in Brooklyn, and everyone could be at Rockwood. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, "Everyone, let's go!" You could all be at Rockwood, like, "Everyone, let's go to the Rock Shop!" And then you all just cattle out of there. It can yeah. happen. Yeah, it do- like it doesn't always happen that way, but like people can go from show to show, from mm-hmm. borough to borough, pretty easily with between cabs and uh, and the transit, uh, yeah. and and the trains. You know, yeah. um, it's like I've noticed here in LA. There's much more of like a you pick one thing for the night and you're doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, just the sprawl is when mm-hmm. one of those things that does that. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard to get people out to shows here as you've seen and right. or just, or to go to shows. I haven't gone to that almost any shows. Yeah. Isn't you it know? strange how you, well, we have a bit of a trade off. There's the pros and cons of the back and forth. And I'd be interested to see your perspective. Cause I grew up in Northern California, then moved down here like right for college. And mm-hmm. I've been down here ever since. And, uh, and I've been out to New York a handful of times, and every single time I go, it feels like I, you know, I guess what it, what it feels like is somebody's you're hanging on the side of a car, and it's yeah. gone up to about thirty miles an hour, right at that crest where you're going like, okay, I could potentially run into this and then roll out of it, and then find, you know, pick up the speed of New York, but I feel like I'm just gonna bite my bite it on my face, yeah. just like trying to trying to get into the idea of the city and to live in the city. Yeah. Um, last time I went out there, um, I was wandering around the uh, the uh, um, I, was, I was in Uptown, and I just kept on wandering around the same block over and over again, trying sure. to get to Brooklyn. Couldn't get there. It took me an hour and a half just to find the train. I'm that's uh, the the yokel in me. It's, sure. Yeah. You know. No, the trains are complicated at first. If you grow up on them. They become like an extension of your body. You're yeah. Just like, yeah. Oh, well, I need to get the here. Are the highways I make. I don't. I don't understand yeah. them at all. People mm-hmm. are like, "Oh, so where's your where's your house? Is it near the one ten? Is it near the two? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know those numbers. No, that's 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 the same thing here. I guess I didn't even think about that. And it's and you know we we call it you know the four hundred five as opposed to four hundred five or route four hundred five or anything. Is it is it the two or is it's, it's, yeah, the everything's two. the the right the the yeah yeah the four hundred five the two the one hundred one yeah yeah it's it's a strange thing. So coming out here, do you feel we have that too? We have the F. We yeah, have the, the, F. the two three. Yeah and. Jay Z, we have the four or five, we yeah. have the six, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's very specific. Do you feel the sense of isolation being out here? Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally, thoroughly, um, yeah, thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that is I've been taking a little bit too much work mm-hmm. this year, and I gotta just I just gotta relax a little bit this year. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been taking on too much work for a long yeah. time, but. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like now I'm going to have a chance. I, I've got been my, here my first year, and it's been a thing where it's like I'm getting adjusted mm-hmm. to just what it's like. I got my driver's license. Hey. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah, big thing. Yeah, it's just strange, isn't it? That, yeah. that It feels oddly liberating and then mm-hmm. also confining because now you have to answer to a higher power whenever they just pull you over for no yeah. reason. I feel like once I get this new Pro Tools rig. Uh-huh. It'll be like I'll be like okay now I've actually moved I have a new rig now oh new yeah studio. your L A rig yeah this yeah. is my L A rig now <laughs> so I've got a new st- uh, once I have like a new 
brain governing my studio. I think I'll, I'll feel like I'm actually in yeah. a different place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more isolating, but, um, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm one thing that I promised myself is that I would not drink and drive that I mm-hmm. would never, ever do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm learning, uh, how to use these, uh, how to do the taxi thing yeah. more efficiently, yeah. which now with like Uber and Lyft is like super easy. Absolutely. That's been a long time coming. I can't yeah. believe that it took, uh, well, I can't believe that it's actually gotten as strong as it has. And it's, it's a great thing. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. A few of my friends have actually become Lyft drivers and Uber drivers. It's, yeah. and they, it's, it's a nice, hey. they have the, they have the nice car. They might as well just use it. Just, just do it. Yeah. Just do it up. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to be healthier out here. I, I, have, I haven't smoked a cigarette. Hey. In like two, since I saw you, you, you saw me the day that I quit. Yeah, congratulations. That morning dude. I was a smoker, and then you saw me that night, and I wasn't a smoker anymore. That's that was the, that was the day. That's great, dude. That's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. That that is something that is it, your whole perception on life. You don't realize how close it was, drawn yeah. like to the yeah. that thing. Yeah, everything is worse now. Oh, <laughs> everything is worse. I can't tell you one thing that I like more as a non-smoker, but mm. I know. I, I I think I'm looking at it very healthily. I'm looking at it as. That it was this long relationship that I had, mm-hmm. you know, and and I realized that it wasn't right for me. Yeah. So, uh, I knew I couldn't spend the rest of my life with that thing. Yeah. So I I, I broke up with, with smoking. Yeah. And now it's like I don't want to demonize. You don't want to demonize someone that you broke up with. You want to respect what mm-hmm. they meant to you and 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 what you meant to them. And yeah, just you know, realize that that at the end of the day, you just weren't right for each other. Exactly. Some people they can they can just. Uh, Wake up in the morning, cough a little bit of lung butter out, and then mm-hmm. just go about their day, and then yeah. die at the age of ninety-five. Sure, not a not a black mark on their lung at all. Right, you know this then, was right. This was right for them. This is it, great. Absolutely, and they they become that guy, you know, like mm-hmm. like the Nick Nolte voice and that kind of thing. But yeah, I personally have got way too much cancer in my family and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I had a relationship with cigarettes for about, uh, yeah. about ten years, and then you know right. it was it was you know at the worst of it, it was you know half a pack a day, a pack a day, you know depending, mm-hmm. and then and the lightest of it was still four. Day, but that that's you know being part of that it's it's i i guess i never was able to actually say to myself well I, i'm i'm a smoker i smoke cigarettes mm-hmm. to actually say those words felt strange to me because right. I, I wasn't that i was this is just something that i did for just, now yeah. yeah i just kept on changing the band-aid out i never totally. really like needed to go into the er and get the stitches right so it's it's weird how did you do it cold turkey uh yeah, yeah it's just like i'm gonna i bought some patches uh-huh. but no, no literature, no nothing else. No just, literature. Wow. Well, a friend of mine uh, who who he's a, a music therapist. Mm-hmm. His name is John. Uh, he's a he's a brilliant guy, and he's helped me through so much in my life. Um, he actually um, he was my my music therapist when I was recording Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. He came in and helped me. I was I was floundering on the cellesta, and I wasn't able to play it. Mm-hmm. And he came in and gave me a pep talk and sat there with me and like. Made me able to play the instrument. I'm showing my green colors. What's a celesta? Oh, it's a it's a bell piano. It's a piano okay. that um it's uh yeah it's a little like five octave piano that mm-hmm. every note is t- attached to a bell. Oh, so it's a, a large toy piano essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just floundering because the thing with celesta is if you press it too soft, no sound comes out. Mm-hmm. If you press it too hard, it makes this horrible like. Bang! Clang. Yeah, clangy sound, mm-hmm. right? So you have to every note just has to be even and and, mm-hmm. and very like calm. Mm-hmm. And I only had the instrument for sixteen hours. Oh man! So I was like, and I had an entire film score to get mm-hmm. through. So it's like, oh god, oh god, oh god. Oh, so my body was just not in the place of like 
Oh well, so it hit very evenly and, <laughs> and medium. Pay, you know, like, I gotta play this instrument. <laughs> Holy crap! I gotta go back and I'll chop this up. I'll just hit one note evenly, and then I'll just like I'll I'll change the transients and I'll move it all right. Down. Exactly. <laughs> and he's a better uh, he's 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 better at piano than I am. So mm-hmm. I, I um, he also wasn't under the gun like you were. You, right. You could just kind of roll through. and Go. Oh, I'll just play this for you. Totally. Let's well, talk about- I I called him intending for him to p- come play this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he listened to it. And he's like, "No, you've got this, man." Oh. He's like, "I'll just engineer for you. You do it. Ah. You, you play it. You've got mm-hmm. this." And he like helped me through it. And he's just like, "Close your eyes mm-hmm. and think about the scene that you're playing music to. Uh, don't 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 think about the instrument you're playing. Mm. Think about the the scene that you're scoring. That's interesting. You know. Yeah. And just closing my eyes and picturing uh, picturing the film in 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 my brain was just so helpful. He was oh, so wow. right. Yeah. So how did he quit? Yeah, help you quit smoking? Mm. Oh. Right. Right. So he's <laughs> he said. Um, he said that quitting smoking or quitting anything uh, is just as much about the journey as mm. about the results. Yeah. And that it's actually would be somewhat of a spiritual uh, endeavor hmm. to quit smoking, letting go of something that way. Wow. And using replacement therapy, some kind of chemical to like help me along the way, uh, can be very useful, but maybe won't give me as much of the... Experience. Yeah. The emotional yeah. experience of mm-hmm. it. And I think also... Uh, because of how difficult that moment was, it's make it'll make it uh, less likely for me to go back to it. That's true. It kind of creates this huge catharsis in your mind, a very a very easily accessible moment in your mind. Yeah, you know? like a, a watershed moment, so to yeah. speak. Well, I think uh, part of what makes people keep their teeth healthy uh-huh. is like knowing that they'd have to get things drilled. There you go. And they're like yeah. like going back to smoking, I'd know I'd have to quit again. Yeah. And so knowing you have to go through that again, oh, it's just yeah. like, I don't want to have to go through that again. Oh, well, there you go. And how long has it been? It's been two months, right? Yeah, over two months. Wow. And I think this is I think this is going to take this time. Oh, yeah, man. I'm 30. Yeah, you, it's time. Everyone's like, I'm going to quit when I'm 30. Yeah. And it's I'm 30. Yeah. So, it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's not a cliche. It's, it's, it's a great way to remember it. Yeah. Like an even number. This is it. Yeah. This is the one. So let's go back and talk about the Beast of Southern Wild. How did okay. that start out? Um, well, I've been working with Court 13, mm-hmm. the film company yeah. that, who put, who, who made Beasts. I've been working with them since I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I've known Ray Tentori, who's one of the two, well, well not there, I guess there's not a set amount of directors for Court 13, but Ray's one of the directors and I've known him since we were seven. Oh, wow. We met in elementary school at PS321 in mm-hmm. Park Slope. Um, and he... Yeah, we've been friends forever, and um, he was at Wesleyan doing his uh, his uh, senior thesis film, and it's called Death to the Tin Man. And um, for some reason, I have a hard time saying that title. Death to the, I always have, Death to the is a hard yeah. phrase to say for mm-hmm. me. Um, so he was doing this film, Death to the Tin Man, and I was uh, and he asked me to make the music for it, and I had said to him um, I had never scored a film before. Hmm. And I, I wasn't, I, and I was like, I'll do it, but I've never done this before. And he was like, Well, I have this friend named Ben Zeitlin. Uh, I mean, I'd actually met Ben before. I'd, I'd, I'd done some engineering for him. But he's like, Remember my friend Ben Zeitlin? You did some engineering for him for that short film he did. So yeah, Ben uh, used to play in a rock band in high school, and he's a filmmaker now. So he like has some knowledge of music, and he'll come help you score it. Mm-hmm. So Ben and I got together, and. Um, we did the music for Tin Man together. It was like just seven days of staying up all night, almost mm-hmm. every night, just no sleeping. Just Ben and I, like, let's do this. And you know, Ray Ray was there most of the time. He was kind of in and out, but you know, Ben and I were just together for for seven or eight days straight. Um, and we made that score, and it got into Sundance. Mm-hmm. And we actually we, that film actually won an honorable mention at Sundance. Did, okay. we were, and we yeah, we were twenty two. Wow. Uh, 
which um, was was so was so much fun. Um, and we just felt like we were like, oh, we could we could do anything. Yeah. Kind of, uh, it was nice getting out of college and just be like, we could do anything. Um, but so uh, then Ben called me. Ben Zeitland called me later and was like, I'm making this film called uh, called Glory at Sea, and uh, I'd like you to score it with me. And so I said yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we scored that film together. It's a 25 minute film. It's on YouTube. You okay. can search for Glory at Sea if you want. And uh, it's it's a lot. It's some of the same uh, people from Beasts are in it. Oh, and cool. uh, yeah, it's a lot of the same crew and blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. um, and there's some story storyline thematic similarities. Um, so we did that film, and then uh, we got funding to do a feature. And so Ben asked me to uh, to score beasts, and then uh, you know th- that movie was in post for two years. Oh man, yeah, it was a long post process. But you know, we finally it was a lot of pushing back and pushing back, but we finally happened and. Yeah, Ben and I wrote the music together, and and we made this. Film. And the reception has been insane for that thing, man. It's it's been cool. It's yeah. been a, it's it's been it's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what brought you out here, yeah. Um, I More mean, part of it. I, I I'd been thinking about moving to LA for a long time. Um, it was usually Jenny Owen Youngs who who would convince me not to go. She would always uh-huh. she would always mention uh, remind me how much I hated the sun, uh-huh. <laughs> which I'm learning to love. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's like, you know how much you hate the sun and also how you don't know how to drive. <laughs> You're not going to like it in L.A. But, she's, um, she's the died in the wool East Coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, um, I mean, part of it was the film and part of it was the fact that I wanted to score more films. And um, part of it was that I grew up in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and almost like so many of my friends who live in Brooklyn didn't grow up there. Yeah. They came from other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you wanted that experience for yourself to be yeah, surrounded. Yeah, exactly. To- they got to make the exodus to New York, and I just stayed in Park Slope. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided that I wanted to do this. I wanted to start over somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it it's hard because um, I've spent my whole life, you know, having all these people around me that I love and kind of building up slowly this group of different people in my life that like I love so dearly mm-hmm. you know old old friends and new friends alike I mean yeah. just like having this network of people who I love so much mm-hmm. all around me um you know I mean I have friends there uh, you know that like you know my friend Paul Corzan who who built all the puppets uh on Beasts mm-hmm. he um and did a lot of the set design he um I've known him since I was 14 you know and he lives in the neighborhood and when I was in Brooklyn we'd hang out all the time and yeah. and then you have like someone like Greg Holden who yeah. I met on a tour bus just a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. who's, you know, uh, also one of my best friends who was living across the street from me in, Bro- in Park Slope. Oh, man, yeah. You know, and it's like leaving every world of friends behind, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, every from every stage of my life, leaving that all behind and coming here is very difficult, and it is difficult. Absolutely. Well, one interesting, one of the, the positive things about it is that you actually get a sense of what you actually are. I mean, if you're a snowflake amongst snowflakes, or at least you've been kind of grown into the uh, into the verisimilitude of your entire life, mm-hmm. you kind of figure out actually, you know, up against the white background of L.A., which is, you know, L.A. is, is the Wild West, I always say to myself. Yeah. I have two different allegories for it, one of which, when it comes to people migrating here from other parts, me, myself being one of them, is that... You kind of come here to figure out what you are. You're either building yourself or you're actually excavating yourself yeah. from all the other stuff. And you can see it on this white blank background is what L.A. is. It's just a green screen to kind of see what the difference between you and it yeah. is. 
Or I also, uh, when I have my down, more dour moments, I say that uh, L.A. is an oil rig out in the middle of the Pacific that we all come out to and we try to work as hard as we can so that we can leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, so many times you get these these uh, actors from the 70s and 80s, the Jeff Bridges and the Harrison Fords and all those other people, and they come out and they work and they get these huge movies and then they go and they live in a cabin in Montana. Right. Or they get a brownstone and uh, they, they you know live up in the Upper West Side. And, yeah, and- I can't imagine that I would... Never go back to Brooklyn. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I can imagine myself in 10 years mm-hmm. being like, oh, I can't believe I thought I was uh, <laughs> going back to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm eating on my patio for Christmas Day. It's exactly. 77 degrees outside. It was just beautiful during Christmas. It was like, what was it, like 75 degrees? Absolutely. Out? I forgot my jacket to go up to my parents' house in Northern California, and I mm. still didn't need my jacket. Mm. It was amazing. It was a... Uh, Terrifying as well. Maybe we used too much, air, yeah, a little too much aerosol hairspray in the eighties. Maybe it's a little, you know, it's a little scary. The whole uh, thing. Yeah, there's gonna be a polar bear sitting on an ice cube. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of people in the world. Yeah, which yeah. is you know, there's about there's almost what eight eight trillion people. Something. Yeah, is it is it rounding up to eight already? I think it's close to it's eight. between seven and eight. I can't yeah. remember. And they're all using things. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, back in the forties, there was mm-hmm. only what like two. Yeah, I often think. Yeah, if that two. If, I often think about. Uh, Benjamin Franklin or Samuel Adams or any any you know uh, did I say trillion or billion? You said trillion, but I know you meant billion. I meant billion. Yeah, no. <laughs> can you imagine ten zillion quadzillion Googleplex of people? Yeah, Ugh. a septillion people. Um, no, uh, there's I, I think about them um, writing uh, writing documents by candlelight and mm-hmm. uh, what was it? They, I forget which study it was, but they said that. In the 1600s and 1700s, the average educated person had about like a 1,600-word vocabulary, mm-hmm. thereabouts, give or take. Mm-hmm. We're rounding up to about three, 400 words <laughs> today. So the verbosity, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, I, I, I've wanted to do a digital kinds for the longest time. Have you ever thought about doing that? Just like, you know, like you only turn your computer on to work and that's it. Yeah. And then you turn it off when you're done and then you go and read a book or like just sit and think and be a person. I was reading about media fasting. Ah, yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, I was reading about about food, you know, food fasting, mm-hmm. uh, fasting for your health yeah. once in a while, and um, I don't know if they're to be done simultaneously or what, but I think the idea of of letting your brain recover mm-hmm. for a couple days every month is yeah. a great idea. Absolutely. Have you ever gone out of the house without your phone and then just realized that the your your entire reason for being is just like sitting there on the charger, yeah. you have no, you, you forget. Yeah. I, I I left without my phone to go grab something at the store, mm-hmm. and I I kept on running so many different scenarios of how I would need my phone and how it wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, somebody would call up and say, "Quick, you know, real quick, can you send us your song files in the next five minutes so mm-hmm. that we can use them and pay you a hundred thousand dollars each for side?" Right. That or you know, everyone I knew and loved was going to call me and tell me you know that they're dying immediately, and I wouldn't <laughs> be there for it. Just my. my Massive anxiety uh, sure. tied to the phone thing. I can't leave my phone at home here because you need it to. I can need it to get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. There's actually not the only place I know how to get to without my phone is is uh, is fresh and easy. <laughs> that's so, perfect. That's, that's all you need, really. I mean, yeah. sustenance. You've got the food and shelter. You're just leaving the the. You know. I've been loving fresh and easy, man. It's amazing. They've getting, been getting better and better. You know what? I was. I've been really working that market by uh, doing the. Coupons and then the uh, thing. I, wow. I've, I've gotten it around to where, like I went went there and bought 
$45 worth of stuff and only paid $27 for it. What? Coupons, man. What? You get creative, man. You oh, get check coupon it out. ninja, man. But yeah, I've been, I've been doing the uh, farmer's market for, for produce mm-hmm. and uh, and then everything else, buying it fresh and easy. Is it strange to kind of be buying an avocado in January and not be paying a king's ransom for it? Um, we don't... Well, okay. In... in uh, First of all, avocados in New York are just not. It's not the same vibe. Yeah. It's not. The, I don't know. It's not the same. It's the like the idea of an avocado out there. The mere yeah, suggestion. Out here, everyone's like avocados, avocados, avocados. Uh-huh. In New York, people are like, oh, an avocado. Cool. <laughs> they're not like the. They're not like. They're not, we're not on par with like apples. You're not putting in your coffee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everything's so into avocados out here, and it's great. They're super healthy, mm-hmm. and they're you know they taste fantastic with a little bit of. I I can't. I, I need a little bit of salt. To, yeah. to rock with them proper, but um, uh, I was part of the Park Slope Food Co-op in Brooklyn. Okay, uh, which do you know anything about that place? I've heard about it, but I don't know the specifics. Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a butt of a lot of jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, if if you ever watched like uh, Bored to Death, uh-huh. um, yeah, 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 they have some an episode making fun of it. Um, it's a major plot point in uh, the first season, but uh, yeah, the, the basic idea is um, you work. Uh, a two hour and 45 minute shift once a month mm-hmm. and then you get your groceries for about a third off or wow. a little bit a bit maybe a little bit cheaper than that mm-hmm. um, because it's a non-profit uh, you know what is it organization company I don't know whatever yeah. it's, it's a non-profit it's a non-profit and um, they're not paying a huge staff yeah so you know so much of the work is done by the they, they have a certain amount of people who are on staff but so you get it's almost all uh, organic and mostly local food, mm-hmm. and uh, it's organic and organic food for essentially a little bit cheaper than normal food would be okay. at a normal grocery store. Great. Um, so we had like I had I didn't have a normal like New York experience for as far as my grocery shopping went. Okay, so it's hard for me to really compare it to like that's true. There's my cousins are involved in a co-op up in Seattle. Yeah, uh, they they and I had no idea. What that was. I mean, I I grew mm. up in the middle of um, Northern California. We're right outside uh, San Joaquin Valley, yeah. where mo- the majority of a lot of the vegetables that you know feed a lot of the U.S. come from. So yeah. we always had just, I mean, it was always just prevalent and present. But then again, you also have rather uh, uneducated food people. I mean, yeah. like, like mo- I found out, you know, just recently that most of my mom's famous family recipes came from Reader's Digest in the 70s and 80s. We don't, have, <laughs> we don't really have a strong <laughs> tradition for, for right, food. Right. So, so yeah, coming back down to LA and then, and then also going up there in the, the co-op sort of thing, you finding out more about that. Uh, that, that, that that's interesting, man. That's yeah, it. I mean, here there's a different thing where we have so many more farmers around us, I think. Yeah. There's farmers markets everywhere. Oh yeah. Here in 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 New York, I feel like there was a farmers market. There were there was I guess there were two around Park Slope. Um but it just it seemed like a much here it's much more of a culture where everyone's like, "Oh, we got to go to the farmers market." Yeah. In New York it was more like, "Oh, look, there's a farmers market. Let's buy some strawberries." Unless mm-hmm. like I do my grocery shopping at the farmers market regularly. Yeah, there is an app that you can actually go to the farmers market every single day of the week within 10 miles of the Nice. Place. It's nuts. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. uh that's cool. Well, dude, so uh, overall, overall, uh the from here to there, like your experience in LA, what are you finding this city to be as a like a newcomer, fresh mm-hmm. face to this thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um I'm finding that I ha- it's a lot easier to be healthier out mm-hmm. here um, and a lot easier to kind of isolate yourself for better or worse. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in in Brooklyn, you know, I, I would just jump outside just to get some fresh air for a minute 
and I would see a bunch of people I knew walking by. Yeah, and you'd get some drop-ins, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, all the time, yeah. which I love. Yeah. I love seeing people all the time, and I miss that dearly. But I also um, – uh, you know, there's also good parts about that about about work, and I'm able to just kind of you know hide myself away. And I have two of my best friends out here with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I move with, with Mike and Saul, mm-hmm. um, and they we you know we all collaborate in, in, in different ways, and you know, um, so I have them. I, I always have friends around me to some degree, but um, you know, they're they're housemates, so it's not the same. Like, hey, and then I have to get you know mm-hmm. hang out with them, and I I but man, I I, I miss I miss it. I miss people just yeah. stopping by. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, ultimately what it seems to me is that there's more, uh, LA seems to be like the place where you move when it's like, okay, I've, I've been doing music since I was this age, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's time for me to go like start my actual career. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. And I could be totally wrong. And I I know I'm wrong in many situations, Mm -hmm. you know, tons of people. Uh, go to New York to 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 really start their career. Um, you know, an A and R guy said to me once back in New York, he was like, he's like, oh man, I love that you live in New York. And I was like, why? He's like, because you're like one of the only songwriters I know who still lives here. Wow. And if I needed someone, one of the artists who lives in New York to write with you, uh, you know, you're like the New York guy. Huh. And it's like, yeah, everyone has kind of gone out to L.A. Yeah. And there are writers in New York that I know, but you know, it's like now. So many more people. It just seems like people gravitate towards here once it's like we're making a career out of this. Yeah. If I was going to start a band, mm-hmm. and that was my goal, uh, and even if I was just going to be a really young artist, I think I'd go to New York. Yeah. But um, you know, if I was a session musician, I would definitely live here. Yeah. Uh, or if I was a composer or a songwriter or a producer, this mm-hmm. seems like the right place. Yeah. There's yeah. There's the pros and cons of both places, and uh, yeah, I I. I, for a brief period of time, I entertained the idea of moving to New York when I was in my early 20s. I, I auditioned for Juilliard for you know, their acting program a couple mm-hmm. times. And then also about halfway through my college career, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to I'm just gonna move to New York. I'm just going to hang out and, you know, smoke cigarettes and ride the train, you mm-hmm. know, be moody. You know? Sure. Yeah. But uh, – God, you seem so far from that. You're talking about you being moody there. You're talking about James, the James oh, Dean thing. Oh, God, dude. Yeah, huge. I mean like like just weird, sad, you know, sad, sad Did kid. you ever dye your hair black? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Me too. Yeah. The only problem is with having blonde hair underneath. When you dye your hair yeah. black and it starts to grow out, it kind of looks like your hair is sort of following you at a one inch distance. So, totally. Yeah. So you have to commit yourself to it. I made the mistake of actually dyeing my eyebrows black along with my hair. Wow. And I had a little bit of a Groucho Marx thing for a pretty. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That and then the skin started to flake because we couldn't stand the cost. What of chemicals. happens with your eye? Do your eyebrows they <laughs> stop growing? They. I don't know what that is. If you dye them, mm-hmm. yeah, it's weird. Yeah. They, they grow to where they grow. If they, you stop. If you if human body's crazy, it's really if you if you dye them, then are they just dyed because they don't grow? I, I'm assuming that they grow out and then somehow through some process of something they they, they probably fall out when they get. I think they yeah. fall out when they get too long. Yeah, that's what they're doing. There it is. There it is. Nailed it. Yes. Have you have you starting to get? For me, I know this is happening, but like your body starts to play a little jazz with your DNA code uh-huh. and with, with hair follicles and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. And you'll look oh, – like the other day I looked on my arm and I had a two-inch long arm hair that just decided, hey, here I am. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. And it's just – and It's, it's crazy. Just, yeah, I don't know. It's getting older. I had a friend who uh, had a um, – it must have been like a, a, an eight-inch eyebrow hair. What? Yeah. He was so proud of it. Uh-huh. He would like oh, make wait. sure it was is, always – Oh, wait. Is this gal? 
This is not Gao. Okay, because Gao had one that was super long, and that was, he called it Einstein. Einstein. Yeah. I had one. Of, yeah, I, I, I had one of those too. And someone was like, mm-hmm. "Pull that out." And I was like, "All right, fine, pull it out." And Do I, the world. I regret it to this day. Uh, I miss it. It's a cool Einstein. That could have been like your Samson, man. That's where you kept your power, right? Yeah. You know, you never know like how many losty tudes and uh, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all my head hair is gone. So yeah. Well, when 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 did that happen? I started balding when I was seventeen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start shaving your face? When I was, uh, I started, I started shaving my head when I was. Um, oh wait, when did I start shaving my face? Yeah. When did you, when did you need to start shaving? Uh, like the end of end of being thirteen, beginning of being fourteen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I would shave like, I would shave when I was like seventeen or eighteen once a week because I yeah. whether I needed to or not kind right. of thing. Yeah. I, still I could have grown a full beard at fourteen. That's amazing. Yeah, but I never have until this year. Yeah, and I just great. I just had a gigantic beard. Yeah, I remember I saw it. It was great. Yeah, and yeah. now I'm uh, well. I, I had a shaving accident where I went a little too low on one of the cheeks, and I was like, ah, oh, uh, this is not cool. And then you got to just burn the forest down. Yeah, to I had to just start over again. Yeah. Well, dude, it's been a great talk, dude. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much for having me. And there he is, the man in all his splendor and glory, Dan Romer. We're probably going to get him for about another five or ten years, and then he'll head on back to Park Slope. Or, who knows, we might have found his new and permanent home here in the City of Angels. Who knows? Thank you all so much for subscribing, for listening. Continue to spread the word about Shark Brain. Get on that mailing list. Check out jakenewton.com for live tour dates and Shark Brain Podcast for every single episode that we've ever done. Thank you all so much for listening. From the bottom of my heart, I wish you a happy new year that we can all be the people that we want to be and not the people that we feel like we should be or end up being. Right? That's not too happy to say. All right. Love your friends and be well.